You don't make up for your sins in the church. You do it in the streets. You do it at home. The rest is bullshit, and you know it. When Martin Scorsese premiered his third feature film, Mean Streets, at the New York Film Festival on October the 2nd, 1973, he was fated as the future of gangster pictures. Barely a year after The Godfather had not only broken all box office records, but had also rewritten the gangster movie, it appeared Scorsese had achieved the impossible. Add an authentically fresh chapter to a genre that everyone thought Francis Ford Coppola had just closed. So much so, that when Paramount Pictures asked Coppola to pay another visit to the Corleones, he initially said no, recommending Scorsese instead. But Scorsese didn't make The Godfather Part 2. His next film wasn't even a gangster picture. Hi everybody, just go on and do whatever you're doing. I'm gonna sing. I'm just gonna um, sing a little. Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore was a melodrama so far removed from the content of Mean Streets that you would have been forgiven for not knowing they were directed by the same person. Which raised a question. Was Scorsese really a director of gangster pictures or was he a director of melodramas? To which we must learn to say, why either or? Why not both? The clothes you're wearing are the clothes you wore. Then came Taxi Driver, a movie that really does defy genre classification and instead is more a study in alienation. But the violence in Taxi Driver proved so visceral that when Scorsese made Raging Bull, all people could talk about was the physical intensity of his work. At which point, critics triangulated violence, masculinity and Catholicism as his recurring themes. And for a long time, it was within that unholy trinity that Scorsese was not only viewed, but restricted. So much so that when he delivered Goodfellas in 1990, critics could only see violence, masculinity and Catholicism. As far back as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I know I'd go from rags to riches. For all his immeasurable talent, it appeared that Scorsese would forever be trapped by those three optics. And while we couldn't really know it at the time, with Goodfellas, Scorsese wasn't really making a gangster picture. To explain what he was really making, we need to establish some background. My clothes may still be torn and tattered. Scorsese's style of storytelling has long been so psychologically immersive that it is often hard to sift through all the detail to see the bigger picture. Think of how, in Goodfellas, he shows Pauli Cicero slicing the garlic so it liquidizes in the pan. Or the envelopes filled with cash given to Henry and Karen at their wedding. Or when the oversized gangsters get out of the car and Scorsese shows us the rear suspension springing back up. They are all close-up shots, static and quickly cut. But what about his extended tracking shots? In Main Streets, Harvey Keitel's Charlie Kappa gets drunk and not satisfied with showing him inebriated, Scorsese strapped the camera to Charlie's chest so we could partake in his antics as he caroused through the bar. <laughs> Do that again. Do, do, do. Eventually, it is too much for Charlie and we end up with him as he passes out on the floor. 
the shot lasts about 80 seconds and heralded Scorsese's romance with the moving camera. In Raging Bull, when Jake LaMotta contests the world title, we follow the boxer as he and his entourage come out of his dressing room, walk along the corridor beneath the stadium, go up the steps into the auditorium, down the aisles and into the ring. The shot was designed so we could move with LaMotta and sense his growing expectation and trepidation for the fight. And of course, Scorsese did something similar in Goodfellas. Thank you, sir. All right, see you later. Thanks. What are you doing? You're leaving your car? Watch hey. the car for me. It's easier than leaving it out of the garage and waiting. It's a lot quicker that way. You know what I mean? Huh? How does that scene work? It's all about desire. While everyone else is standing in line waiting to get into the Copacabana, Henry brings Karen in the side entrance and waltzes her through the corridors and kitchens. The camera's mobility makes us feel as giddy as Karen feels as Henry takes her and us places we've never been before, showing us things we've never seen before. Now the genius of it all is that the scene seduces us just as Henry seduces Karen. This is their first proper date and in 2 minutes 30 seconds Karen makes up her mind about Henry. And just as Henry intuits precisely what Karen desires, so too did Scorsese know what we the audience desired, before we knew it ourselves. Which brings me to what I meant about Goodfellas being a new start for Scorsese. Yes, upon its release it was regarded as his second Mafia picture, and when he made Casino in 1995 it was assumed that he had capped a trilogy. But no, not really. Goodfellas has since become part of a new series in which Scorsese examined materialism. Again, some background. In Mean Streets, you have Charlie Kappa, who is little more than a local hood living on the lowest echelons. Goodfellas Henry Hill is a mid-ranking mafioso who lives out in the suburbs. Casino's Ace Rothstein is top of the heap. Not only is Scorsese showing us life further and further up the criminal ladder, he is also showing us a wider and wider view of the criminal world and how it imperceptibly affects those who assume they are beyond the reach of the mob. Charlie Kappa never gets beyond Little Italy, Henry Hill his closed community. But in Casino, Ace Rothstein reaches into every home right across the continent. By the end, gambling is a family pastime. And while the kids play cardboard pirates, mommy and daddy drop the house payments and Junior's college money on the poker slots. And then you have Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, a criminal of truly gargantuan appetites. I also gamble like a degenerate. I drink like a fish. I fuck hookers maybe five, six times a week. I have three different federal agencies looking to indict me. Oh yeah, and I love drugs. Belfort offers us the temptations the likes of which most of us have never even imagined. And in presenting them to us, Scorsese shows that material gain has not only become central to the American dream. By showing Belfort travelling abroad to hide his money, Scorsese shows us that greed knows no borders and is therefore endemic to human nature. Now let's look at how Goodfellas ends. Mr. Hill, this morning you told the members of this jury about your background. It was easy for all of us to disappear. My house was in my mother-in-law's name. 
My cars were registered to my wife. My social security cards and driver's licenses were phonies. I never voted. I never paid taxes. My birth certificate and my arrest sheet. That's all you'd ever have to know I was alive. You see him here in the courtroom today? Yes. Could you please point him out to the members of the jury? Henry Hill is apprehended, charged and brought to trial. Scorsese shows him in the witness box, turning state's evidence. Then, Hill turns to the camera. Didn't matter. Didn't mean anything. When I was broke, I would go out and rob some more. We ran everything. We paid off cops. We paid off lawyers. We paid off judges. Everybody had their hands out. Everything was for the taking. And now it's all over. We then realize that the whole movie has not been a narration, but a testimony. And that makes us Hill's jury. Let me risk stating the obvious. That makes us Hill's peers. If we are honest, we were seduced by his lifestyle. We were tempted by the trappings of his world. We desired what he had. Which is why I think Goodfellas wasn't just a gangster movie. Now look at the way The Wolf of Wall Street ends. Sell me this pen. Although Belfort has been released from prison, he is not a reformed character. Rather, he is passing on to rapt audiences the deceptions of his practice. It's, it's an a amazing pen to, for professionals. It's a Delivering a seminar to money-hungry listeners, they cling to his every word. Sell me this pen. And as Belfort asks them to sell him the pen, Scorsese shows us those listeners. It's a nice pen. You can, you can use the pen to write down thoughts from your life so you can remember. It is then that we realise what we're looking at. Sell me this pen. A mirror. This movie is not about a corrupt Wall Street broker. Well, this pen works and I personally love this pen. And I this film is about you and me. Here's the thing. While dramatising material excess, Scorsese has also given us The Last Temptation of Christ, Kundun, Bringing Out the Dead, and later this year, he will give us Silence, a story set in 17th century Japan, where two young priests search for their lost mentor. It is very clear then that Scorsese has moved beyond that initial critical framework. Violence, masculinity and Catholicism may have been true back in the 1980s, but over the decades Scorsese's canvas has broadened and his themes have become deeper. Taking in the totality of his works, it is clear that Scorsese's cinema is about seeking, not redemption because of past sins, but rather a reconciliation between the material and the spiritual. In 2011, Scorsese directed his second documentary about a rock star. The first was No Direction Home about Bob Dylan. George Harrison, living in the material world, is an examination of a musician who, while partaking in many of the vices often associated with being a pop idol, was also a Buddhist. Within that duality, Harrison was seeking an answer to his own existence. And that struggle was momentarily addressed in the climactic sequence of Goodfellas, when Henry Hill's addiction spirals out of control. And how did Scorsese address it? With one of Harrison's biggest solo hits, What Is Life? What I've 